This morning, I want to finish my series on God is greater. So we have dealt with God is greater than we think. And we talked about Easter, the universe, and all the things that we described uh, in that how big the planets and the universe and our galaxy and everything is and how whales sing and how it stars sing and just, just the magnitude trying to get our mind around how awesome God is who hung all of this. And then last week we, we took it to another step that God is bigger than our problems. He's bigger than the issues that we're facing. Uh, I like the way, I'm glad somebody remembered, Joanna remembered my sermon. That's always a plus as a pastor when somebody can remember last week's sermon. And so when she said, don't let the thing get in the way of your thing. Don't let, don't let whatever is facing you now, don't think it's so big that it's going to keep you from what God's called you to do. Don't, don't ever think that the thing that you're facing today, the, the problem, what the doctor said, or what you're going, is to cancel out what you're supposed to do. In fact, it's just the opposite. What you're supposed to do gives you courage to know that this thing won't kill me. Somebody talks about COVID and all this, and I tell them, I ain't got time to worry about COVID. You know, I, I wish I had time to sit around and read newspapers and worry about how many people got sick yesterday and how many more is going to... I, I said, I don't have time to think about it. I'm just busy trying to get to my thing. And so I can't let the things that are going on stop me from the thing that God's called me to. In fact, He's bigger than whatever it is I'm facing right now to overcome. Today, I want to take it to our final part because both of those are meant to set us up for the ultimate goal. Jesus had one level that was very difficult to ever get to. He could... He could cause storms to stop, waves to cease, wind to stop. He, he was bigger than nature. Jesus, even with his disciples, he was bigger than the problems. Lazarus, who had died, he could raise him from the dead. People who had leprosy, he could cause them instantaneously for their skin to be healed. And, and he could show miracle after miracle. And you would think, well, he's bigger than the universe. I mean, what kind of man can speak to wind? What kind of man can speak to disease? What kind of man... But really, that's not the biggest problem that we ever face. The thing I want you to realize this morning that is the highest level of realizing how big God is, is that God is bigger than your enemies. God is bigger than your enemies. And this morning, I want us to, to look at that. Go with me in your Bibles to James 1 and 13. Because what stops us is not the fact that God can't do it. God can do anything. And when we think about that, we think about nature or we think about a sickness or we think about... But it's very difficult when we talk about us and what we're going through and what we're facing internally and externally and the pressures that it seems like we face all the time. Here's what the Bible says in James 1 and 13. Let no one say that when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He Himself tempt anyone. Go to 1 Corinthians 10 and 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able. So God says, I am great enough, first off, to have tested you mentally, emotionally, physically, and to know exactly what you are able to do. In fact, think of it like steel. It, it, it's gone through fire. It's been, it's been uh, heated and cooled and heated and cooled. It's been tempered to the point to where it has a rating on it to where it can say, you know what? This steel can handle this amount of weight. Uh, other steel cannot because it hasn't been tempered or set in a place to where it, it has uh, been load-bearing to that level. And in every one of our lives, all that we've gone through emotionally and physically has not been to destroy us, but has been to put us in the heat, take us from the cool, put us in the heat. And what it's doing, it's creating the strength in us so that at moments in our life, we're able to handle what other people cannot handle. That's why some can handle certain situations and others cannot. They would crumble and God does not allow it. God says that I have tempered you and I know what your weight load is and I know what you can handle and I'm promising you that even though trials and temptations are common, I will never allow it to overload the level that I've put on your life. 
That is incredible. God says, I don't just count the hair of your head. I don't just know who you are. I don't just have, but I've already got you weight adjusted. I've already know what your load limit is. You don't have to look in the glove box and look and wonder, well, can I handle 3,500 pounds or 75? No, he says, I already have it. I built you. I designed you. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able. But with every temptation will also allow a way of escape that you may be able to bear it, that you may be able to deal with it. Go with me to Ephesians 6 and 12. Listen to what this says. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Go with me one more place to Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. I want you to realize that all through the Bible, and I could keep doing this for a long time, that this is the understanding that from the moment you came into this world, you came into a war zone. You were born in a war zone. People who who say, I'm going to get to retirement, I'm going to finally... No, you're not. You'll still be in a war. I'm going to finally get... No, you're not. You're going to be in a war. Some of the most miserable people you'll ever meet is people that thought, if I get to here, I'm going to do this and do that, and then their health failed them, and then they're mad because then now they're 60-something. They can't do what they thought they'd be able to do. They physically don't want to sit in the car eight hours and drive somewhere now. They used to think, when we get older, we're going to do this and this and this and this. Now all they want to do is watch Gunsmoke. Amen. If I just sit here and watch Gunsmoke, I'm a happy camper. That's not what you said at 35 when I get old. I want to sit and watch guns for myself. No, you didn't. Why? Because in our lives, it's going to be a war. It's a war every morning I get up now. It's, it's like I'm just deciding how much pain I want to go through, how much hurting I want to endure. I've decided that I'm, I'm good till lunch now. I used to could work all day. Now I work from 6 to about 11 or 12. Pretty much after lunch, I'm pretty much finished. I'm just piddling then to get to where it's time to quit. I've realized that my war may change, but from the moment I came into this world screaming and hollering for milk to the day I go out, I'm going to be in a war. And, and, and until you realize that and you keep trying to find this euphoria, that, oh, if we can just get everybody to love it, if we can just get everybody this, if we can just give everybody... No. You're just going to be in a war. And here's what Ephesians says. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit of who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as others. There was a time when every one of us in this room, we all had the same problem. We were all trying to find an answer to an answer there wasn't. We all at one time was trying to find that euphoria, trying to find that place, trying to escape the war. And eventually, according to Paul, those people he's writing to said, you found the answer. And the answer was in Jesus Christ, was in God. Because you found out that you're never going to escape the war, but by the grace and the power of God, you can win the war. And so we live in a contradiction today. We live in a society today because I get letters all the time or I get emails or I get things and people ask, well, man, that's got to frustrate you. No, it's just, it's just sad because what we have is we have this, this fight that's going on right now to where what we want to be able to do is say, since we can't win war, since we, since we're going to be in the war, since we're going to, to have to, let's try to figure out the least amount of resistance that we have to face and still be happy. Let, let's, let's see if, okay, brother Lot, we all sin a little bit every day. So therefore, it makes me feel good about the fact that I haven't changed this part of my life. Cause we all have issues, right? We all have problems and we all... But see, notice what he said. He said, you once were that way, but you're not that way. Paul didn't give an excuse and say, oh, I understand. Listen to what he says. Among whom you were, what's the word? Once. Once means you ain't there no more. 
once conducted yourselves in the lust of your... There once was a time that that's what I did. Once I tried to find a way that I could go to church because you have to understand, I grew up in church. I, I wanted to find a way that I could go to church and still get to do the things my friends got to do and still get to live the way my buddies did. I still wanted to figure out how I could get drunk on Saturday and still feel good about myself on Sunday. I, I wanted to figure out how I could, I could lie and cheat and do whatever I wanted and still feel good about myself. And we live in a society now, not a worldly society, a church society that's trying to change grace into something that says, well, all it is is forgiveness, but not salvation. That you get forgiven, but, but, but nothing really changes. Well, that's contrary to everything the Bible says because you have to throw out the word regeneration. You have to throw out the word salvation because to have the word saved means you have to have been taken out of something and put into something. If somebody saved me off a desert island, it don't mean I got a letter that said I loved you and they left me on the desert island. I got saved from the desert island. Oh, don't, don't get me started this morning because I'm, I, I'm, I really got this in my spirit. There is a war that is waging and in our Christian world, we're just going right on down the tubes with it by saying, you know, grace just covers everything. Just, you know, we all sin and we all... That's the craziest theology I've ever heard. In fact, it's not a theology. What it is, it's a white flag of surrender to your enemy that says, I can't beat you. And my God ain't big enough to beat you. We're just both going to have to just live in it. Let's see what the Bible says about that. The Bible says that Jesus actually was victorious. In fact, my God is bigger. Let me, let me put it to you in a few, few phrases here. And, and I'm not going to pull all these up, but I'm going to go through them real fast. In John 16 and 33, he says, I have said of, of these things to you that you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. Here's what he says about the world. I have overcome the world. In John 5, 1 John 5 and 4, he says it this way, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. I like that. It doesn't say you get to live with it nor endure it. He said everyone who's of the God has overcome this old world. Not only that, as this is the victory, 1 John 5 and 4, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our Faith, the same faith we have in the God who's bigger than the universe, the same God that we have faith in who's bigger than our sicknesses. You know, God can do anything. He's the same God that looks at Tim Lott and says, Tim, there's no weapon, there's no enemy, there's no problem that's ever going to come against you that's bigger than you. If the psychiatrist says you're losing your mind, it's okay because I am the one that gives you peace and I'm the one that gives you a sound mind and I'm the one that heals what can't be healed. Oh, we love to see it when we see kids up here and I was broken, but now I'm whole. And, but we don't realize that's actually what he does. He actually is bigger than your uh, psychiatrist. You're, he's either bigger than your emotions. He's bigger than your eternal issues. He's bigger than your past. He's bigger than your sin life. He's bigger than the world. How about the flesh? Well, here's what he says in Galatians 5 and 16. But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not glorify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. God said, when I saved you and put a Spirit in you, it was for one purpose, so that you could do the things you really want to do. How about the devil? Brother Lott, you know the devil. They make movies about him all the time. Well, let me tell you about the old devil. John 16, 11 says it this way, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is already judged. I mean, it, it's bad enough when, when you got to walk around and know, man, you know, sooner or later, I'm gonna, it's going to get me. The devil walks around every day and knows he's already got him. The book of Revelation has already been written. He done, he's done wrote it. He's done said, if you'd like to know your future, just read it. Wouldn't you know that's one book he tries to stay away from an awful lot. Well, how's it going to end for you? Well, uh, apparently they're going to wrap me in chains. They're going to kick me into hell, and I'm going to be tormented and stuck there for the rest of eternity. That's it? Yeah, that's the way it goes. He already knows it because from the moment Jesus came off the cross, the moment he, all power was given, judgment was done. 
Now he's in a rage. He's mad. He's fr- because his judgment's already set. Now can you think of somebody so dumb who already knows that the person they're going to run with is going to die and going to be thrown in hell, but that's going to be the one I'm not signing up with. You've got to be off your rocker. To have satanic worship, you'd have to be just literally a little bit stupid. I'm worshiping the devil. You mean you like losing? You're a born loser. You know what's going to happen. Oh, we're going to... No, you're not. No, it's not going to end good. How about this one? 1 John 2 and 14. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Let's look at, just for a second, these three enemies because that's what you have. In your life, you have three distinct enemies. Just because you're saved doesn't mean they go away. But there's three enemies, even though I've told you Jesus has overcome it, Jesus is victorious, you still get to choose. And today you get to choose whether you're going to believe God is greater than all the enemies of my life and decide to live that direction. Or you get to choose that my enemies, Brother Lot, are too big. And so therefore I'm just going to not tell anybody what I'm doing. I'm going to hide my lifestyle or I'm going to, I'm going to just accept it as normal or I'm just going to give it a new name. I have a sickness. I'm going to, whatever you're going to do to say that God's not bigger than what I'm facing. Well, let's look at the devil. We've called him by many names, the wicked one, the devil, the murderer, a liar, a father of lies, an adversary, he who seeks to devour, an old serpent, the accuser of the brethren. He is in Ephesians, uh, in 2 Corinthians 4 and 4 and others, he's talked about as the God of this world, the prince of this world, the prince of the power of the air. When we look at him and we talk about the devil, we understand that this is who he is. Now, when Jesus came off the cross, when Jesus rose from the dead, all power, that means there's no power left, was taken away from him. Paul would later write, he said, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where... The the one thing that he had that he he could hold over everybody was the torment of death. At at the moment of death, you're going to be separated from God. No matter how good or bad, no matter what you did, you were going to be separated. But even after this, that was torn down. Now that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So therefore, even that has been robbed from him. He can't look at you and say, I'm going to get you. How? I'm going to mess you up. How? See, all power was taken from him, all authority. The only thing the enemy still has that he can use against you is the intimidation, is the hopefulness that you will quit on the thing that God has put before you. I've used this illustration a a, a lot of times, but come up here on stage with me. I just want to show it to you because it's, it's so simple. This is, this is the devil. You, you've got to get to the other end of the stage. Now, don't let me stop you. I'm, I'm, I'm bigger. I ain't going to say I'm stronger. I'm, I'm, I'm bigger. I got that one covered. But you've got to walk to the other end of the stage. Now, now you ready? Now I'm going to stop you. Why are you running? I said, walk. I said, walk. I can't grab you if you, if you, if you, if you take off running. See, I got to be able to grab. I got to be able to stop you. I got to be able to stop you. I, I'm, look now, I'm fixed to get a hold of you, boy. You trapped? Why didn't I stop you? I'm bigger than you, stronger than you. Why couldn't I stop you? Because I've told you I'm bigger. And I told you I was stronger. Therefore, you wanted to run when you didn't have to. In fact, walk toward me. In all the zigzagging you did, just walk toward me. I'm going to stop you. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm going I'm fixing to jump. I'm fixing to fix mess with your family. I'm going to mess with your job. Look now, it's the last time. I'm telling you, don't move forward no more. 
Don't make me mad. You ever seen the extras? I'll spin your head around. I'm telling you, I'm a bad, bad devil. You don't know how bad I've got a little tail, got a pitchfork. I'll stab you. See, the problem is I can't. Thanks, brother. The only thing I have, when people ask, Brother Lott, how do you do all you do? It's very simple. Just walk. Well, you don't know what might happen. Yeah, I know what's going to happen. He's going to get out of my way. He has all he can do. We just listen to so much junk, and we listen to so much, and, and we just think, oh, he's, boy, the devil's been after me. Really? Well, the devil's been wearing me out. Really? How does somebody with no power, no authority, who Jesus says, you can call on my name and, and, and cast them out? I mean, it's the, he said, I've, I've told you, the disciples even were surprised by this because he said, just go into the cities and in my name, cast out. And man, they came back like, look, even demons were subject to, he's like, don't be, Lord, that ain't even a big thing. He said, just be thankful your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. If you got me and I'm your authority, just keep walking. But we'll do this. And like, oh, I'm trying to avoid the devil. I'm trying to just, just go where you're supposed to go. Because we, we look at him and we think, man, he's big. Yeah, he is. But you were made lower than the angels, then crowned with glory. In other words, you were made less than them. Yeah, you're not as big as them. But guess what? God then said, but I gave you authority that I didn't give to them. Now, let me tell you how Satan will, will use different things to try to slow you down. Since he has no power, let's look at it this way. Satan will always try to wear you out through physical fatigue. Just look at how much effort he gave trying to get around me. I just, I just gotta keep, I just gotta get, oh Lord, I'm worried about my kids. Something, something might happen to my kids. We, we are constantly fatiguing ourselves trying to, with our own strength, fix something. Amen? We stay up at night worried about things we can't fix and not believing in a God who's working while we're sleeping. That's usually the last thing I say every night before I go to bed. I'll have a million things on my mind. I'll have problems and situations. And, and the first thing I have to say is, God, that's yours. I'm going to sleep. You're the only one who can handle it. And whatever I do in the morning, we'll talk about. The second thing you'll find is that Satan will continuously try to take your eyes off of Jesus. Focus on me. Focus on, on, on what I'm going to do to you. Focus on what ain't right. Focus on the flat tire. Focus on what went wrong last week. Focus on, on what the doctor said. Focus on anything other than Jesus. The third thing is he will try to walk into your life when you have feelings of being overwhelmed or feelings of being helpless. I loved how when we got over here, we got to this point, and he just he says, I'm trapped. And I thought, really? But in his mind, I'm trapped. Because the enemy says, you know what I want you to be able to do? I, not, I don't only want to make you tired. I don't want to do just this. But I want you to feel overwhelmed and helpless. Like, doesn't matter what I do. It's never that seems to work. Nothing there. This is how the enemy works. It has nothing to do. Joyce Myers wrote a great book called The Battlefield of the Mind. That's where he works. Just trying to get you to stop. Just stop. Stop dreaming. Stop believing. Stop believing in God. Then what happens, Brother Lot? Then he reminds us of the old habits and, the, and, and, and he tries to create a resurfacing of things from our past. Isn't it amazing when you feel fatigued or you feel frustrated or you feel overwhelmed or you feel like you've been cornered or you feel the first thing that pops in is, oh man, I just need to, I just need to go get a beer. I just need to go hang out with some friends again. Well, it didn't seem like it was this bad back when I was living the other life. Really? Remember the children of Israel? They were in bondage, living in slavery, beaten every day. And then when they got out in the desert, a little bit of overwhelmingness came. Oh, you know, we need to go back. What? Yeah, we need to go back. You know, they had cucumbers there. They had cucumbers back over there in Egypt. Now, we ain't got no cucumbers out here in this desert. You want to go back into slavery for a cucumber. Well, you'd be amazed how many people do. 
the thought of a cucumber makes them turn away from everything that God's freed them from to go back into a bondage that remember why you went to the altar? Remember why you were crying and said, God, forgive me? And you want to go back? He can't make you. He can't force you. But he can definitely try to resurface old thoughts. Lastly, he wants you pulling away from godly relationships. It's amazing how you get to feeling bad, first place you want to miss, church. If it, I get tickled because people say, you know, bro, I don't do good with crowds. I'm like, it's amazing. I saw you walk around Walmart with a bug in front of 400 people the other day. Don't be giving me that junk. You have no problem. Excuse me. I need to get through. Excuse me. Excuse me. You don't even know those people. Those people don't even like you. You're blocking you out. But you can't walk in a church and sit in a row that probably nobody bothering you. Just too uncomfortable. No, what he does is, is he frustrates you into thinking you don't need these relationships. You'd be better off just sitting home watching Gaithers on a videotape. No, you won't. You need the relationships that he's given. So what's the answer then, Brother Lot, to overcoming the devil? What, how do we overcome this number one problem? Well, go with me in your Bibles to James 4 and 7. James 4 and 7. Therefore, submit to God. So what I have to do first is to say, God, you are greater. I'm just going to establish you're greater than my devil. You're greater than my enemies. You're greater than all my problems. You're greater than anything in this world. You're greater. So I'm going to submit to you. Remember the, the image I just gave you then, Jesus sitting there. What was Jesus doing? Submitting. God, you're greater. you got to figure out He's greater than your ideas. He's greater than your next scheme. He's greater than your next plan. He's greater. And when I establish that, then I can move to the next thing. When I decide that He is greater, then resist the devil and He will... then He will flee from you. So when when you're standing there, the first thing I do is, God is greater than this enemy standing in front of me and I am going to walk forward. When you do that, when you submit to God fully and say, God, I'm either going to fail miserably with you or I'm going to succeed with you. And you decide, I'm going to walk anyway. I'm not quitting. What you'll find out is, just like you hear me talking, I know when I, while I'm talking, picking on the devil and stuff, you're like, boy, you better be careful. The devil going to be working on him next week. Gonna be going. No, I don't worry about that. Why? Because I've already I've submitted to God. So therefore, it's easy to do what? Resist the devil. But if you don't submit to God, if you just think, I'm just going to try to do better. Mm-mm, he's stronger than you. I'm just, I'm just going to try harder. No, I'm just going to try to uh, please God. You don't please God. You submit to God. You submit to God, and when you submit to God, He will acknowledge that you please Him. Jesus does the same thing. Jesus going down to be baptized. Remember what He says? John says, I need to be baptized of you. And He says, no, it's, it's the way God wants it. It's the way the Father wants it. He goes down. They come up. The Spirit descends like a dove, and the voice says what? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well. See, Jesus just submitted. And by submitting, the Father then tells, I'm pleased with you. And this is what happens. When you do those two things, guess what the devil does? He flees. He's not going to stand there and watch you do good. He's not going to stand there. He's not omnipresent. He's not going to spend all his time sitting there watching you do good when he can be off somewhere watching somebody mess up their life or do something wrong. He's not going to hang out with you. Just like he left Jesus, he'll leave you. Go with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter 6, or chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. Here, here's what it says. Therefore, humble yourselves. Another, another word for submitting. And I'll give you a little phrase that will help you. You'll either be humble or you'll be humiliated. You can pick the one you want. Your life will either be full of being humble or your life will be full of being humiliated. People will talk about you. You'll have a great Facebook account. 
They just can't wait to see what happened to you next. You will live in humiliation or you will live humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. I like the way he said He could have just said, humble yourself under God, but I like how he's thinking. He's like, no, 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 under the mighty, the God of the universe, the God of every problem, the God who's bigger than your enemy. Humble yourself under the mighty, and He may exalt you in due time. Cast all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking, just looking for somebody who's not going to do that, so that he might do what? Devour them. Well, how does he devour us, Brother Lot, if he has no power? Well, glad you asked. Number two, and I've got to hurry, the world. He has two main areas in which he realizes, even though I don't have power, all I need is influence. The number one of this is the world. Remember, he's the prince, powers of the air. He's the prince of this world. He's the king of this world. He's not saying he's the king of, of, of all that God's doing. He's saying just of the system that is going on. So when we talk about the world, what are we talking about? Well, go with me to 1 John, 1 John 2 and 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If you go to 1 John 2 and 16, it says, For all this in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world is passing away. And the lust of it. So everything that you keep grabbing a hold of and you think it's going to bring you happiness, God has said it doesn't last. It won't last. That's why it will never suffice. The heart of man will never be satisfied. That's why they make more exotic drugs. That's why they make more wine. Because just marijuana, if you say, we're just going to smoke marijuana, that's going to be the end of it. No, it won't. Because the person that starts there has to try something else and has to try something more. Why? Because it's your heart. The world system that's made to get as much as you can. You always live with the feeling that somebody's got it better than you. Somebody's got it better than you. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So when we talk about the world, go with me to uh, Romans, Romans 14 and 23. Romans 14 and 23 says, But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not of faith is what? Is sin. Well, what is the symptoms of, of this worldliness? If I had the time, we would go through. But in James 4, 1 through 6, let me quickly cover it. Where do wars and fights come from among you? You want to know? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and you do not have. You murder and you covet and you cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures or your own selfishness. Adulteress, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with who? When you decide I'm going to be cozy and friendly with this world, I'll be happier if I have a bigger house you're going to become more of an enemy of God. If I just had a better car, I'd I'd be so much more, you're going to become more of an enemy of God. If I could just have better clothes, if I could could just have the right girlfriend, boyfriend, if I could, no matter what it costs, if I could just have it, I'm going to be, you're going to become enemies of God. No, 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 I I just want, God wants me to have nice things. No, God doesn't want you to have nice things. I don't know where that came from, but God doesn't. God wants you to have things that you can use for His kingdom. And if it's a good car that you can use for His kingdom, then He wants you to have it. You can even have a big old boat if you're willing to take youth out on boat trips and do. But if you're going to miss church every Sunday, and the only reason you got that boat is so you can park it at the cove over there and sit there and drink beers with everybody else that's neck deep in water, then you know what God's going to say? I really don't care about you having that boat. 
I know it's ticking all of you off, isn't it? I'm sorry. I'm just messing up everything. Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of God, a friend of the world, makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealousy, but He gives more grace. Therefore, He says, God resists the what? The proud. And gives grace to the... There's that word again. Humble yourself. Well, God doesn't want... Now listen, I have more places to fish. I, I could borrow more boats. I could, I've got more friends to go eat with. I've got more than I've ever had in my life. And yet at the same time, I've got none of it. Because when I humbled myself and said, God, I'm just, none of it matters. He said, now I can trust you. with it. Now I have people going, you need to come fish in my pond. I'm like, I ain't got time. I've got to get this camp. I want to, but... Why can He give it to me? Because He knows that I don't love it more than Him. Nothing in this world means anything to me. Only Him. And because of that, He says, Tim, now I can trust you with things that I can't trust other people with. Because you don't see it the same way. So, what are some of the ways? Number one, wrong behavior. Doing things the wrong way trying to achieve what you want by the wrong attitude, using quarreling, arguing, suing folks, whatever you got to do to get what you want. You can have a wrong desire. You can want something, but it's not what God intended for you to have. In other words, notice in Ephesians 5 and 3, I'll just read a couple. But sexual immorality and impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Colossians 3 and 5 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. 2 Timothy 2 and 22 says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, among which those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. You can even have the wrong motive. The third thing you have is the wrong motive. Listen, how he talked about you ask for things. Well, listen to this. We ask for time. Ask yourself, we ask for more. Lord, I wish I had more time. For what? In order to spend time on self-gratification. Boy, I wish I had more money. Why do you want more money? In order to spend that on self-gratification. We ask for companionship. Boy, I wish I had a boyfriend, a girlfriend. I wish I had me a wife or a husband. What do you want it for? You guessed it. Self-gratification. The common thread, the reason you want all that stuff is because it makes yourself feel better. That's why most people, when they get a wife or get a husband or get a girlfriend or boyfriend, it don't last. Why? Because can't nobody else do enough to make you happy. And when they can't, you just trade them in for a better model. We do that in everything in our life now. Why? Because it's all about self. So how do we cure the world, Brother Lot? Well, 1 Peter 2 and 11 says this. Dear friends, I warn you, as temporary residents and foreigners, keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. John 15, go there with me. John chapter 15, here's what Jesus says. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you, were of, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world does what? Let me give you the quickest answer for your problem. Get used to being disliked. If you ain't grown enough thick skin yet to not be disliked by this world, well, I can't believe he talks about that, and I'm going to talk about it some more. Every time he comes, it seems like he's preaching about me. Absolutely. And you come back next week, I'll be probably talking about you again. And you know what? You're just going to get mad at me, hate me, dislike me, but that's okay. We never were meant to run together anyway. Here I am. I'm married, faithful, got my kids, trying to raise them right, do all. You think I want to be hanging out with some beer guzzling, dope doing, 
three-time married loser? You think that's who I want to run with? We got no relationship, Doc. We got no relationship. We ain't going in the same, we ain't hanging out of the same watering holes. I'm going to the quick stop and get a Pepsi. And then I'm going home and hug my wife and not watch junk on TV. What are you doing? Well, you think you're better than me. I am better than you. You ain't figured that out yet. I am better than you. But understand why. We both are garbage cans. I've made this statement a million times. We're both garbage. If you take two garbage cans and you set it here, we both are garbage cans. We're both worth $19.99 at Walmart. But now, if you put gold in me, and I put trash in you, and I carry us out to the yard sale, which one do you think is going to grow the biggest money? I said, it's not because we're who we were. It's because of what we chose. Humble yourselves and let God fill you with good, and it creates value. So when somebody says, well, you think you're better. I don't know if I'm better in that way, but I know I'm worth a lot. And if you hang out with me, we get to see in our lifestyles, and I can quickly look and say, yeah, I'm worth more than you. Because what's in me is more valuable than what's in you. And we live in a world now that even in the Christian world, well, you don't need to think that. You know, Listen, if your lifestyle that living for God doesn't make you feel good about yourself, then, then what's... Well, you know, I've just been faithful all my life. I've just been... No, I've been faithful all my life. And God who loves me blesses me. That's my lifestyle. What's yours? Well, I love the devil. I've been drinking all my life. I've been doing all my other stuff. And I've been sleeping around and doing everything else. How's that working for you? Well, I got the court date next week. God bless you, bro. Welcome to reality. Which garbage can you want to be? So, number three, and I don't have much time. But James 4 and 4 says this, You adulterous and adulterous, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity or being an enemy of God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Last is the flesh. Galatians 5, 17 through 21. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary one to another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, if you've humbled yourself, if you've allowed God to take over, if you've allowed him to be greater than who you are, greater than your enemies, if you've allowed this, you're not under the law. The enemy can come along and say, well, you've done God saved me. I'm, I'm, I don't have to worry about that. But listen to what he says. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are... So, so if you're wondering if you're living a fleshly life, Paul just says, look, it's real simple. If you want to know whether or not you're living a sinful, fleshly life, then let me give you a list. If you're doing these things, then you're in the wrong. You and God are not walking together. Here's what he says. Are you committing adultery? Are you doing fornication? Are you living an unclean life? And we could put this in, next time we'll try to put this in more of an NIV or a more English standard version where you can understand more of the words. How about lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, Envying, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I have told you in times past. Now, this isn't me. I'm not trying to create a new theology for you. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. I've told you before, Paul said, and I'm going to tell it to you again, that those who practice such things, say it out loud, will not inherit the kingdom. Don't be deceived. Don't let some backwoods seminary degree preacher who sins every day himself tell you, it's okay, we all messed up a little bit. No, you need to realize we ain't supposed to be messed up a little bit. Does that mean, Brother Lot, you don't mess up? No, we make mistakes. Then we have to get right back up and keep right on going. Because our lifestyle was never called to be something that we make a 
truce or a treaty with the devil and say, well, you get this part of my life, but God gets this part. That's never been what God decided. God said, I'm bigger than your enemies. I'm greater than your enemies. I'm greater. So, how then, Brother Lot, do we, do we deal with flesh? Go with me to Romans 12 and 1. And it's about as fast as I can run through all this stuff. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a what? A living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's what you were called to do. One writer said it this way. That's the deal with the living sacrifices. They are they are there voluntarily. They aren't dead. God doesn't want robot Christians, but authentic followers who seek to do the hard thing by keeping worship and worshiping God by giving up their own preferences in His name. A.W. Tozier, who was a great minister years and years ago, here's what he said. He said, A serious serious follower of Christ has three things in common. If you want to find someone who, who has got the goods, the real deal, here's what they'll have. Three things they'll have in common. Number one, they are only facing one direction. Number two, they never turn back in the face of fear. A true follower of Christ, just like we illustrated, a true follower of Christ, listen, only is moving in one direction. If you're a true follower today, or maybe the enemy, one of the enemies of your life, the world or your flesh or the enemy, the devil, has been, has been trying to get you to zigzag or trying to get you to go backwards or go side, to, to be intimidated. He said, listen to me. True follower says, I'm going forward. And a true follower, even though he gets scared sometimes, as I do and you do, quitting is not an option. And number three, they no longer, they no longer have plans of their own. I don't know how it all ends. I may die in a car wreck today. But I know as for today, I will serve Him. I will follow Him. And He's bigger than every problem, every enemy. He's bigger than anything that will come against me. And I've built my faith on that. That's what the world needs to see. Whether they like us or not, whether they applaud us or not, it is doing it because we serve a God who's bigger. You stand. Maybe one of these enemies has gone even beyond just frustrating your life, but has gone to actually impacting your life. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, that stuff you listed on the flesh, I'm struggling with. What do I need to do, Brother Lot? The word is humble. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. Brother Lot, this old world, all the politics and the chaos and just makes me so angry. And I want stuff like everybody else wants. I work too hard to not have anything. And I but I'll be honest with you, Brother Lot. I'm way too wrapped up in this world. What do I need to do? Humble yourself. And realize that the world probably won't like you all the time. That's okay. If God be for me, who dare be against me? Brother Lot, that old devil, man, he just... What do I need to do? Submit to God. Just make it clear that there is no plan B or plan C. God, 
It's just you. Submit to God. And then tell the devil, I don't care what you say. I'm not doing anything other than what I'm supposed to do. I'm just going to keep walking. Stop me if you can. Go ahead. Just watch him have to walk away. Because he don't have the power to do that. Come by to tell you today, if you hadn't realized it, but God is greater than your enemies. He's greater than the things that say they're going to get you. If you're in this room today, these altars are open as they begin to sing. You may need to just take a moment and remind yourself, come to an altar and just kneel. Humble yourself and just say, God, I just want to spend some time with you. I forget way too quick that you're greater. And forgive me for forgetting it. Forgive me for choosing worldly things, fleshly things. God, forgive me. That's the life I want to live. I want to live walking. And I want to live this life winning the war. That's you. That these altars are open for you this morning to take the moment. You notice I've given the same altar call this during this thing. It's not about me praying for you. We'll we'll get to that maybe next week or so. But these three sermons about you deciding that God is greater. That God is greater than what I'm facing at school. He's greater than what I'm facing at home. He's greater than than all the things that come against me. Father, let them see today that you are greater than everything that would raise its head. That's you today as they begin to say it. You come. If not, God bless you. You're dismissed. Go give that devil a